This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, are you okay with swans knocking on your door for three hours? Like literally, swans. The Schitt's Creek Motel is for sale. And how about a woman admitting to trying to run over a grandma in a park? We tried something new on the shift, and now for something completely different. So remember when you were a kid and you messed around with ants? You know, magnifying glass, whatever. Turns out they could actually tear you apart because they wage war like humans do. We have biologist Mark Moffat explaining how and why. Plus, live from Tokyo, Sir Christopher Gilbert's International Dispatch, big boats stuck in rivers, Australia banning mullets, and more. The Shift Daily Podcast. It is time for us to get your feedback and contribution around Are You Okay? Are You Okay? We share some ideas. You can tell us, Are You Okay? with Are You Okay's? Like, Are You Okay? with Swans. Ooh, pretty majestic birds. Very graceful. Uh, kind of mean if you get real close to them. But uh, yeah. The swan is one of the most beautiful birds in nature. Yeah, I'm okay with swans. Yeah, swans are neat. Uh, I think about the swans I saw when I was in Stratford-upon-Avon in the UK. Uh, there's a river that runs right by the Royal Shakespeare Company, and we were on a little boat, and I watched as a pack of swans viciously attacked a couple of children who were eating on the bank of the river. And when I say viciously, you know, just honk, 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 try to steal the food. So... From afar, they're cool. Yeah. What what noise do they make? Honk honk honk. Oh, okay, cool. Thanks. Am I right there, or is it more like a hank hank hank? <laughs> That's better. <laughs> I've, that could be an American goose, maybe. Yeah. Hank. Maybe it's just swan, swan swan. <laughs> I don't know what sound they make. You have to. This is where I wish our Zoom call was public because the sign language of the honk 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 uh, was dynamite. I, I mean, swans are the kind of bird that when you see them, you stop and you go, whoa, is yeah. that a swan? Right? Yeah, that's a good word. Yep. Like the, you just literally stop. While residents of a town in England have been cursed with a loud and aggressive swan that loves to knock on doors for hours, three of them, three hours to be exact, <laughs> give me a beak. <laughs> I think they have a bill, but still... <laughs> Okay. According to local right. reports, what? According to local reports, the phenomenon has been going on for five years in Northampton, East Midlands. The bird regularly knocks on their front doors with his beak and rattles their letterboxes. Stephen, who lives in Selston Walk, added, "He does it every year until the summer, then doesn't bother for the rest of the year. No one is sure why the bird is behaving this way. Before you make up your mind on what is a swan, this is what it sounds like as the swan plays." with the mail slot. It's really getting at that mail. Can Three you hours. imagine? Yeah, you're just working from home. You're on a Zoom meeting, and instead of a child like crashing in or anything, you just constantly hear clanking, and your boss goes, what's that noise? Oh, don't worry. It's just the neighborhood swan. He's playing with my mailbox. Wow. Um, 
Well, I tried to search, do swans have beaks or bills? Wikipedia says, although birds do not have teeth, swans like other anatidae, I don't know that word, have beaks with serrated edges that look like small jagged teeth as part of their beaks for catching and eating aquatic plants and algae, as well as mollusks, small fish, frogs, and worms. Well, they are vicious, aren't they? Yep. Um, now, swans almost always have solid black bills, uh, so I don't understand the difference between them because depending on the article you read, uh, it says beaks or bills. Is the bill the same as a beak? Not a thing. The words are synonymous. Use the word bill more than beak. But beak with songbirds, pointed bills, and bill with <laughs> birds that like ducks and fleshy beaks. <laughs> How's that for confusing? What came first, the beak or the bill? <laughs> or who's on first? Green, right. no like. Melt. Are you okay? I'm glad we could clear that up for you. <laughs> Science. Are you okay with motels? Uh, I, I like motels. Hanging out at the Motel 6, hiding out just for kicks. Man. <laughs> nice. I just, you know, it's it's fun. It's not trying to pretend to be anything other, other than it is. It's just somewhere just to hang out for the night or part of a day, evening, whatever. Or an hour. Or an hour. The best is, yeah, I mean, there's that. But the best is when it's a, like for a concert and everybody's staying at the motel because of that concert. So when you go to get ice or you go downstairs, someone's wearing the T-shirt for the band and then you end up chatting for like an hour and then it ends up becoming a party. That's what motels are cool for. Yeah. That's very, very in-depth. Okay. Um, the <laughs> motels, I think in the summer, there's something about traveling on the road in the summertime and having a motel room where you just like walk outside and it's the pool deck. I think there's something, maybe it's just a retro thing. I don't know. I, when I was a kid, I was in BC and then in BC, there was a lot of motels. Um, this summer tentatively, if we're allowed to travel, we'll be going to Penticton. I've already booked a motel in Penticton because they're for, they're everywhere. So I don't know. There's something romantic about them. Throwback. The motel used for Schitt's Creek is up for sale. Uh, once a functioning motel in Orangeville, Ontario, the property has recently gained fame, of course, as the once rundown motel in the fictional town of Schitt's Creek, where the Rose family um, land after losing their fortune because they bought it as a joke. Here's a very American report from ABC News. I'd like to check in, please. Oh, my God, where did you come from? The motel made famous by the uber-popular Netflix series that starts with an S and ends with Creek is up for sale. <laughs> Ten Room Motel in Ontario was the setting for the Emmy award-winning series about a wealthy family forced to relocate to a rural town after going bankrupt. It's known as the Rosebud Motel in the show, but its real name is the Hockley Motel, and it's listed for $1.5 million. Mm -hmm. All right. Somebody's going to love that. Ha-ha. <laughs> you got it, Karen. But we can't say Shit's Creek on TV. <laughs> Isn't that funny, though? But that's... Yeah, um, it's interesting. When we talked to Ryan Recker at KMOX, he was like, oh, yeah, we don't say that on the radio. I don't know if I got him in trouble that day. Anyway, um, we say Shit's Creek because that's the name of it. S-C-H-I-T-T -T dollar sign. Shit's Creek. Um, it includes more than six acres of lands. It backs up to a waterway. It's not the creek from the show's title. Uh, it's the Nottawasago River. Interested parties better start saving because the property is listed for $2 million Canadian. In addition to Schitt's Creek, the property has also been a set for various other productions, including... You ready for this? You may not have known I am it. ready. I did not know it. Umbrella Academy. Ooh, that's cool. That is cool. 
Um, huh. and the theme is amazing, just to be clear. We love Shit's Creek. What a fantastic show. <laughs> Still winning awards, in fact. Uh, mm-hmm. are you okay? Are you okay with playgrounds? Oh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good place to hang out for the night or, you know, for yeah. an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> chat with people who are at the same concert as you. Yeah, yeah. Wearing the same concert t-shirt. Exactly. Yeah. That's where you go after you've been up all night in the Motel 6. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's take a trip down to South Florida again, because that's where all the good stuff seems to always happen. Chaos unfolded at a Florida park last week when a driver was accused of slamming her car into a woman and child. ABC News 6 partner, Local 10 News. <laughs> love the name. I, it was so long, I had to leave it there. <laughs> um, they looked into this. The driver took down a portion of a gate before driving into a playground and hitting a grandmother and her three-year-old grandson. Thankfully, everyone is okay. Uh, everyone is okay, according to ABC News 6 partner, Local 10 News. According to records... Fedelin St. Phoenix? Fedelin. Fedelin St. Phoenix. Felix was behind the wheel of the vehicle that hit McLeod. She says she went to the park to settle an argument with another woman, and then she got emotional. I was attempting to run her over. I'm not going to lie with you. I was attempting to run her over, and then, but then I see someone pulled her out the way. Instead, McLeod says St. Felix came barreling towards her and her grandson, knocking down a gate in the process and driving into the park where kids were playing. I was just running to my grandbaby at the time, and had I not picked him up, she would have ran completely over him, and he would have been under the car. As I'm picking him up, she's just hitting us both, and we just, I don't know, we just went flying over the car, and then finally we hit the, we hit the ground. This is McLeod's grandson Scooter before and after it was run over. St. Felix says she simply lost control of her car. I was trying to find the brakes. I couldn't find the brakes. But I didn't mean to hit them. It, it was an accident and I hope they're okay. Scooter, but, no. But I she just tr- said I was trying to run them over. But I didn't mean to hit them. Let's let's roll back the tape here. I was attempting to run her over. I'm not going to lie with you. I was attempting to run her over. <laughs> that's the kind of thing she said that and she realized wait a minute i'm probably gonna have to talk to a judge let me roll that back i didn't actually back say that. that up and then um she was trying to run us over i also like the part where the grandmother says uh my grandson uh scooter at the time no my grandson at the time like is not your grandson any longer it was just your grandson at the time like was there a divorce here or did the dna test come back negative like <laughs> like, just, just a different kid. The uh, I, he was oh not any, my grandson anymore. He was just my grandson at the time that the lady who <laughs> wasn't really trying to run us over tried to run us over. Oh my goodness! Oh, Fedeline. It's <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> such a weird. I mean, it's it's bad. It's sad. That thankfully they're okay, but it's the interviews that make that story so unbelievable. Hmm. Man, oh man, oh man. <laughs> Scooter. <laughs> this is the Shift Podcast. And now for something completely different.
And now for something different on The Shift, Dr. Bugs joins us Woo! on the show. I've never had a Dr. Bugs before, and we're not most talking the bunny. We're talking uh, about well, the real bugs. <laughs> yeah, most people assume I uh, kill insects when I uh, tell them I'm Dr. Bugs, but I, I tell them, you know, all I can do for their bugs is keep them alive and happy. Uh, it's not the usual thing people are looking for, but that's what I do. Mark Moffat is a biologist. He's uh, on the road, actually, right now in South Carolina, you said? North Carolina. North Carolina. That's close. It was a 50-50 shot with the Carolinas. Yeah. Um, so you're you're on the road working. Now, uh, first, I would like to just uh, declare, because I know that our audience, we call them shift heads, by the way. They, they're going, the first thing they're going to say is, uh-oh, Shane's not going to talk about spiders, because I hate spiders. And I don't hate spiders because they're, you know, bad. I just, they give me the heebie-jeebies. I mean, it's not like I see a spider and I scream and run and hide. My six foot five, 16-year-old son does that. But when I see a spider, I mean, it just gives me the shivers. Ugh. So um, I just wanted to declare that up front. This could be weird for me. I hope it's not. I don't make it weird for you. All right. Well, you know, I know a lot about spiders, but we can uh, we can circle around spiders to something with fewer legs and more satisfaction for you. I hope you have a piece on the the Doctor Bugs website, um, drbugs.com, ants and the art of war. So for something different here on the shift, we wanted to dig into this story of um, of ants and the art of war. What is ants and the art of war? Mark? Oh, well, you know, uh, that was for Scientific American. And basically, ants and humans are pretty unique in the world and having societies that are very, very large in some cases, like the number of ants coming into your kitchen sometimes can be very large. You know, a chimpanzee group is just a dozen, a few, a, a hundred or maybe 200 at most individuals, but ants can have thousands, even millions of individuals. And once you have a group that big, you can have warfare. You can have out-and-out warfare between groups. And ants do many of the things that human warriors and um, uh, uh, troops do. So uh, they will will attack, you know, anything, and they'll do it in all kinds of fabulous ways. And I find it fascinating. So, okay, so we're talking about ants fighting as a community. Are they fighting another neighborhood community of ants, or is there a civil war inside their community? There's rarely civil wars in ant communities. Ants really stick together. They are totally focused on the community itself. They're very, their self-identity is minimal, uh, psychologically speaking, so they're really into the uh, getting behind the colony as a whole. And so Everything for them is a devotion to the colony, and they are attacking outside colonies. Human societies can work together, and colonies do not. The enemy is the enemy is the enemy. So, for example, in humans and in ants, and actually in some other species, you can have a no-man's land between two colonies of ants, as you do in wars of humans where no one really treads. And in ants, uh, you pass that and you're, you can be killed pretty fast. Wow. So that's one of the many examples of what ants do in warfare. So with that sort of DMZ, the demilitarized, deanterized zone, do, like, do the ants respect that? I mean, I'm guessing there's not a lot of diplomacy. It's just uh, how, how, do they, how do they decide? Okay, stay away from the neighbors. They smell bad. <laughs> well, you, become, you, you have the familiar neighbor effect. You get to know your neighbors, and it, at some point it makes sense to not 
continuously just keep fighting and fighting and fighting. So as things settle down and you get this well-defined uh, demarcation from one society to the next, it's happened in human history as well. Uh, there are cases where this fails, and this is uh, some of the really cool stuff. Um, the biggest wars in history, just to go to the maximum on this subject, uh, are in, uh, for example, Southern California. There are these Argentine ants. So if you ever visit Southern California, uh, uh, for example, going all the way up to San Francisco or L.A. or um, any of the cities down to the Mexican border, you'll find ants in people's kitchen. And there are always these Argentine ants. They're an invasive species. And it turns out they have vast, vast colonies. Uh, the biggest colony is about a trillion individuals, I guess. Oh, really? Goes for hundreds of miles from San Francisco down to the Mexican border. And you can take an ant from anywhere in there. You can pluck it out of that place in San Francisco and take it down to the Mexican border and drop it off. And it's still just fine because it's still part of that same society. But you carry it outside of San Diego across a little borderline that you won't understand, but the ants know. Cross that borderline, even an inch, and it's dead within the minute. So these really? four colonies meet outside of San Diego and battle lines that go for miles. And it's good that ants don't scream because uh, it would be pretty terrifying. There are lots of deaths there. They're very quiet about it. So nobody knows this is happening in their lawn. Wow. It's amazing to think that you could go, you know, such a long distance, drop an ant into a colony and everyone's like, oh, hey, Steve. Right. Like, so yeah. how, how do ants tell then? Do they look different? Do they smell different? Do they wear they like gang colors? The, the smell different is it. They don't care about gang colors. Ants aren't very, they're kind of colorblind, but uh, they do have what amounts to a national flag that's a scent. And they're born with it. They're born uh, learning the scent of the colony and you have to match that or you're, you're dead. So thank goodness humans have the capacity to appreciate all this variation in our societies and all the different societies of the world. We can get along. It's sometimes difficult for us. The ants cannot do this. These flags built into their body, these little scents uh, are the only merit badge that you earn in your ant career. Whoa. Okay. So ants go to war. What yeah. does ants go to war look like? Is it like watching a... I imagine it looks like a, a, a professional wrestling cage match. <laughs> pretty, pretty close. Uh, there is one kind of ant that actually throws rocks at the uh, ants it doesn't like. Uh, that's the only, use, the only use of a weapon. Very tiny rocks, by the way. Yeah, I would imagine big you rocks. Know, ants are strong, but they still, can't, they still cannot pick up boulders. We're genetically engineering that in the future, we hope. But in any oh, case... <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, the, uh, for the most part, uh, in these large battles, the ants grab onto each other and slowly pull each other apart. So it's like being on the rack. So they surround oh. each other. And so uh, you go to the right place outside of San Diego and look, peel back the leaves of grass and look down there and you'll see just lots of ants pulling each other apart with piles of bodies on each side. And they've been doing this year after year. These colonies last a long time. So uh, that's the way it, it's it's slow and painful. As like I say, they don't scream. Thank goodness. Well, <laughs> well, maybe they do. It's just tiny little ones we can't hear. Oh yes, perhaps. Um, um. So 
Okay, is this like a an ongoing thing? Is it like you'd see in a Brad Pitt movie where, uh, you know, the handsome army would be on this side and then the ugly army would be here and then they face off and then they tackle each other? Or is this just like this constant flow of ants to just replenish the troops and they're just always wrestling? Yes, well, that's basically it's the second one. Ants give up their lives readily. That's why when you step on some... Uh, ants and they run up your leg they're not they're not pausing to think about it they're fighting for the colony instantly so the ants move forward uh to this battleground and and just go at it and that's a one of the attributes of these very large colonies because you have a huge labor force bigger and bigger societies and humans actually had a huge labor force you get to the roman societies and you had these troops that could move forward and you had what were called cannon fodder these expendable individuals smaller societies of the more distant past didn't do that people would run away and get away with it they would not stand for this kind of stuff you couldn't control people in a very small society and they they certainly could be wiped out too readily so they would avoid these kind of conflicts as battles get bigger and bigger and bigger they've got nastier for both of us for both ants and humans that is so by design are the ants always making ant babies just to constantly replenish the troops is that is that really the sustainability part of this Oh, making an ant babies is half the fun of being an ant, I believe. But only for the queen, this is the problem. <laughs> only the queen gets the fun. And uh, the queen has sex only once early in her life, but there can be a number of guys involved. And uh, the male ants are, um, well, the male ants are useless. Males are basically useless. All huh. the ants you see are females. Uh, if a male is born, he's, they try to kick him out of the colony. He doesn't do any work. His only job in life is to have sex and die. It's really minimal, and it's apparently all the male needs. It's well, a perfect life. I find you calling it minimal hurtful, first of all. <laughs> yeah, <that's>, I'm <laughs> offended. Um, <laughs> but okay, so so who keeps having the babies then? Is there so many queens, or what happens? Well, this is the, this is the thing about these army ants, I mean, sorry, the Argentine ants uh, that I talked about in California, they actually have lots and lots of queens, and the queens stay with the colony and maintain that national odor amongst themselves. But in most kinds of ants though, um, around the world, which is more than 10,000 species, most have just a single queen. She is the center of their lives. That doesn't mean it's a particularly exciting life to be a queen, because the uh, you have this you have sex once and then you're stuck in the dark laying eggs for the rest of your life you don't get to do anything you don't control anything you can't you can't tell what the other ants can't can't tell the other ants what to do so it's it's not really an inspiring life i'd rather if i was reincarnated i'd want to be a a worker ant so i could get out and see some sun sometimes that's all i'm saying okay so the uh the the queen ant then doesn't get a um a discount on a place at mar-a-lago is what no. you're saying. The Queen Anne is basically mis misnamed. Uh, she's not really right. getting much royal treatment, though they yeah. will fight for her. I mean, they if she dies, you see what an ant colony is, is basically a sisterhood. All the ants are her offspring, and they're all female. So all those female ants work together and fight together. And the males, as they say, are social outcasts. They do nothing. So it's the same with the honeybee, you might know. They're all, yeah. all those bees are females. I was going to ask that question. It sounds very similar to the hierarchy of a bee in that um, 
you know, it's just sort of once that queen is gone, everyone kind of stops and like a little bit like Star Wars, right? When the main droid is gone, everyone else stops and looks around and goes, now what? Oh, yeah. Well, they basically get very depressed and die. This is what happens in your uh, your ant farms that you got as a kid. They would deliver these to you without the queen and the workers would run around, be excited for a while. And then they'd notice no queen was there and they'd slow down and it got really sad for them. Wow. Um, so, yeah. That's amazing. Um, okay. So how did you get into this? I mean, it, I mean, you like bugs because you are yeah. the Dr. Bugs, uh, Mark Moffat, but you know, it, what was ants your access point? Is that how you got into this or, or, you know, where does your heart really lie with all this stuff? Well, you know, uh, when I was four months old, I was down in the dirt in the backyard watching ants and you were too, you were too. We all were. So, you know, I, so I showed commitment. That's the way I look at it. I kept <laughs> doing it. You stuck my to parents, it. my parents were a little curious about what it all meant. They didn't know if it was a real career. But well, now when you became a biologist, of, they probably looked at you and said, "Okay, well, no, that makes sense now." Uh, well, you know, they weren't they weren't academic minded, but the biology thing was a bit curious. But I started taking pictures for National Geographic of ants, so I I do that. So I I satisfy all those twelve year old kids that love uh, nature, like I did when I was a, a little boy, and right down to being in diapers as an infant. Oh, that's amazing. So we hear lots of cliches about ants. Are there any myths that we hear? That, that we can get rid of right now. For example, they say that, you know, ants are incredibly strong, uh, way one of the strongest uh, little beasts in the world when it comes to the power to weight ratio, if you will. For example, if a human were to pick up a bulldozer is one of the cliches I've heard, that would be similar to what an ant could pick up based on their body weight. Is there any myths around ants or things like that that you can clarify for us? Well, it's both true and false. I mean, it's true that ants can lift many times their weight but it's also true that ants are only good at lifting very heavy things if you want them to carry a portion of a potato chip across the room they're not going to lift the bulldozer either even a big ant couldn't do that because the ant strength is because it's small when you get smaller you get a lot more power for your muscles than you do for when you're larger some it's, it's a factor of geometry so you get you know a super small human is extra would be extra tough as well. Hmm. So, so what's your favorite, what's your favorite part of the ants? Um, if you had to pick one, like what, what's your favorite part? Is it how they look? If that's what you're watching is, are you like secretly wishing to be an ant psychiatrist? Cause you love behavior. I mean, or an archeologist for the society of ant behaviors, like which part of it? Well, I like ants for the same reason I did when I was four months old you, you have this intuitive knowledge when you're a child looking at ants that there's a lot going on, that they're, they're building highways, they're carrying back things in groups, they're having these wars and defenses, they're building homes. All these things are happening, and you don't see that in chimpanzees and other animals. The fact is ants are really more like us than any other animal in an odd way. It's not because they're smart. It's because they have these large societies. And once you have large societies, you have to deal with things like public health issues. And ants actually have public health squads in some species that actually keep everything clean. You, no chimpanzee keeps the, the group clean, I can tell you that. Yeah, if you have poof, fling it now. 
and the early humans didn't have to either. If you're a little hunter-gatherer group, you didn't have to, you know, worry about where the trash would go. But as societies get bigger and bigger, you have to deal with things like issues of health and uh, moving uh, troops around, moving resources around, all these sort of things. And so you end up with things, you know, to meet, reach uh, some of the uh, examples from battles and warfare, you end up with uh, situations w which were discovered by Frederick Lancaster in, uh, 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 in World War I. He was a British fellow who worked out some of the rules of warfare. And one of them is if you have two massive armies coming together with all kinds of fights in one arena, it doesn't matter how good your troops are. You just need to overwhelm the other side. And uh, that's called, it's one of his rules of battle. And so you see that, for example, in uh, some movies uh, uh, where the aliens come in huge numbers and just mow down the Americans and you're shooting them left and right. But they're, you know, the, the, the zombie movies, for example, they're just millions of zombies. But if there are enough zombies, you're going right. to lose. Mm -hmm. And so ants show that rule. And they have another rule that he, uh, Lancaster also worked out which uh, was that if you have one-on-one -on -one combat, uh, then the one the army with the biggest, strongest troops win. It pays to invest in troops. And so certain ants have these massive soldiers and go at it that way. So depending on what the situation is, you have completely different battle tactics. And the American military would understand these things. Yeah, well, it sort of makes sense. I. I, I guess that, you know, you got to have it's I think of a police force, right? You have your normal police officers, then you have the big scary bastards that are, you know, drive the, the blacked out trucks and then they get out of the car and you're like, oh, he's mean or she's mean. Right. Like, so I mean, yeah. I, I kind of get that. So I guess my last question then would be, do they communicate when they get into a fight? Do they have a little courier or is there a way to communicate where they go, you know, bring in the backup? Yeah, well, they the really interesting thing about ants if you had a super intelligent ant uh she would tell you that humans are ridiculous because you have leaders you have leaders and you go like the super intelligent ant would say couldn't just someone blow up the white house and everything would fall apart wouldn't it just fall apart to depend on one individual and ants don't do that they spread out the information everybody has a bit of information and they carry the information one to the next and it goes through the group and you literally can't stop them. You can step on ants till the cows come home, as my mother used to say, and they'll just keep coming into the kitchen. So they got around some of the reliance we have uh, on uh, social organizations and hierarchies and having all these things, and they don't need them. And it's really cool. I have an article now in a article now in a uh, journal for businesses, the Journal of Organization Design, on how ant societies and businesses uh, differ or the same. And some businesses like Hewlett Packard and some others are flatten things down. They don't have this much of a hierarchy. And those can be really efficient. Those are ant-like, you know, excuse me, but those are ant-like companies. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love it. This is so cool. We wanted to do something different. That's exactly what this is. Drbugs.com. Mark Moffat. Um, thanks for sharing your love for this, man. This is cool stuff. <laughs> Shane, anytime. I got tons of stories for you. Well, I'm going to be careful about the heebie-jeebies this gives me in the bug talk, but we will, we will do it again. <laughs> Spiders. Ah, don't do that. <laughs> it's the Shift Podcast. 
joining us from Tokyo. It's time to touch base with the International Dispatch. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. So when I, I just imagine that, I mean, stereotypes are a thing. When I say he's live from Tokyo, here's Chris Gilbert, and then Chris says hi. Say hi, Chris. Hi. Hi. And then he has a New Zealand Kiwi accent, and then people go, wait a second, I thought he was from Tokyo. It's probably confusing. So Chris is from New Zealand, but New Zealand kicked him out, and then he came to Canada, and he was too good for Canada, and he went to Tokyo. So he's running out of countries. But here he is. I've got like a good 189 left um, to conquer (laughs) before I'm, uh, I'm empire of the world. Can you tell I'm a New Zealander from my hi? Hi. I think so. Hi, I'm in, I think I'm so. I think that you've got a good, Hi. you've got a good balance of, of the Canadian and the Kiwi. Still, I think so. I think you've got to figure it out. Well, okay. My uncle is the ultimate confuser because he lived in Ottawa. He's a born and bred Kiwi, but he lived in Ottawa for forty years. So he's got a, like a, he's got like the real like like Canadian mixed Kiwi accent, eh? Weird. Like, He's like, oh. oh, Chris, this movie is mega, mega quality. It's such a mega great movie, eh? Like, you should go watch it, eh? It's like the, the weirdest thing you've ever heard in your life. Where's the guy, eh? Where's the guy? Hey, Matt, can you help us understand the difference <laughs> oh, no, between, um, you know, if you're in Australia versus if you're in New Zealand? Because sometimes people don't understand that, you know, they are two separate countries uh, two separate islands. Can you help us understand Don't do it. Uh, the Don't difference do it, between them, Maddie? Please. I brought this. Don't do it, Maddie. I brought this on myself. Well, so yeah, the real simple way, this. way to put it is, Australians are like, "Where's the car?" and New Zealanders are like, "Where's the car?" Or in the case of Chris's uncle, "Where's the car?" Eh? So that clarifies all of it. Can I put this to bed for once and for all? Like, do you actually know the difference between a New Zealand and an Australian accent? And would everyone like to know? Please. I thought we just did that, but sure, okay. If you feel like you can add to no, it. No, that is not it. Okay, so New Zealand accent, and like, this is for the audience as well because they're not the same. It's like saying a Canadian and an American accent is the same. I mean, so often in New Zealand, I would bump into people and be like, "Oh, so where in the states are, are you from?" And they'd be like, "Oh, you know, Winnipeg." Um, and I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. So, like, if you don't want to have that embarrassing encounter, then you would say, hey, sorry that I got the country wrong. Not sorry you're from Winnipeg. Um, but if you don't want to have that same embarrassing encounter, then <laughs> New Zealanders, all the vowel sounds are the ah sound. So, ah, e, e, o, u, ah, o, ah, 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 ah. So, like, fush and chips are pretty great on the beach, right? So, that's, that's New Zealand. Whereas, say that again. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, one more time. Fosh and chops on the beach is a pretty great thing to do. Like, that's the ultimate New Zealand accent. Whereas wow. the Australian accent, all the vowel sounds are E. R-E-A-O-U is E, 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 E. So Sydney's a pretty great place to live, E. That, like, that's Australia. Can you do the back-to-back uh, with the R and the E? Okay. I will say I'm not a jukebox, but for you, Shay, Fosh and chops are pretty great. Pretty great, pretty great to have a good, uh, good old brolly and a fish and chips on the boat, right? And I see it's a pretty great place to live, eh? Those, that's Australia and New Zealand back to back. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, now in Japanese. So you can never get it wrong. You can't get it wrong now. One is ah ah, and one is ee ee. So there okay. you go. So yeah. where's the car? Where's the car? And where's the car? Crowded house. 
Men at work. <laughs> crowded house. Crowded house is my uncle as the confuser. I have no idea how to say crowded house because it's like somewhere right in the middle there. Crowd, crowded okay. house. Uh. Ooh, All right, so I, um, I, I, I'm losing myself. Oh, you the international dispatch here. Um, so, yeah. okay, so you had news because you went and got a haircut in Tokyo, and then you asked us if we liked your haircut in Japanese. So, for the sake of uh, bringing that to the table, will you uh, will you pass on the Japanese haircut? Oh, sure. Um, well, I can't pass on the, the the physical haircut; it's mine. But in <laughs> Japanese, I asked everyone, "Do you like my kamikiru? My kamikiru?" Ah. Uh, so kami is uh, hair. It is also paper, but it's hair in this case. And kiru is the verb to cut. So it's my kami kiru, my hair cut. Um, mm. And yeah, and Shane said it was very a suggestive thing to say. It seemed inappropriate. I was like, baka. What? Like what are you? What's that? Somebody knew baka. That's good. Um, no. What, what is that? Is uh, well, that a story? Do you just swear on the show? No. B right? B capital B A K A baka means idiot. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Matt. Just for that, you're not on the show tomorrow. Good, <laughs> good thing I'm filling in. Um, but I, I guess a haircut, it is very intimate. It's a very intimate thing to do, don't you think? Like, you know, someone's touching your hair, especially in so. Japan, because the way they shampoo you hair, like they full on like massage you, you know, like they get the pressure points at the back of the skull and like, you know, and they, I don't know, it's very, I just find it like, okay, it's just me again, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, no, no, I love Hey Man. Scout massage is the best part. I just I didn't know it was so erotic that you were getting like your voice kind of to change started to change there. You're like it's so erotic, and then you massage the pressure points in the back that. of my. I did not do that with my That's not what I did. with my kamakuti. Her... What? No. <laughs> I left you out to, I left you out to dry that time. <laughs> These guys have leave me um, hanging out to dry all day. Hey, uh, they, hey, they moved the big boat. Isn't that good news? The big boat's been moved um, since I was boat. last yes. on the show. Yeah, mm -hmm. there was a big boat. It was a big boy, a large son. It was blocky. Mm -hmm. It was it had its large buttocks straddling um, a river, and uh, they needed that river, and uh, they moved it. Yeah, that's great. It was stuck yeah. in the canal. <laughs> it was stuck. It, nice. No, I like it. Um, no, but like I'm gutted because uh, I think that has been the best news story in many years. Ask me right? why. Ask me why. Oh, why, look, Chris, Ryan, is that the Ryan, best story? Wait, no, Ryan already knows. Ryan, what, why do you think? Well, I just, I've been talking about it too. I just think it's the most, it, it perfectly reflects what this year has been, and it may mm -hmm. be caused by supernatural events or pure human stupidity. I love that. I love it too. Um, that's not why I like it, but those are both good points. The reason I like it is because um, I don't know anything about it, and that is why it's such a good news story. There's a big boat stuck in a river, and now there's no longer a big boat stuck in a river, and nothing really changed. No one was hurt, 
and the whole world was talking about it. It's like maybe like 15% of like, you know, the global economy was affected or whatever, you know, but like really like how many big news stories of like uh, volcanic eruptions or pandemics yep. or shootings yep. and stuff yep. end in just horrific, horrific bottom lines. And this is just a big boy stuck with his bottom in a crease, you know, like it's just the best news story i think we should all mourn the loss of it because like when is something this good going to happen ever again um i think it's not i think we're going to remember very fondly the big boy and uh i i, I hope he gets stuck in, in many more um cravats um you know, gorges valleys canals um and and various other um v-shaped uh, to pop to, to geographic places, geographic and places. So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, RIP to the big boy. Um, he is floating again. Um, right. That is what I have to say on the Suez Canal. Um, do you want to talk about mullets? M the mullet. Yes. The, the the mullet. Yeah. Like um, the Maddie, I am so stoked you're um, filling in for this story because when I read the story or heard the story, I, th I was like, oh, like, this is the perfect story to talk to, to Matt and, and crew about. Um, and I, I was very surprised when um, you, you picked up my, uh, my voice today and you were like, hello, it's Matt. But uh, so the, the mullet, classic, classic look. Um, has anyone here ever had a mullet or yes, know what a mullet is? Long you ago. had a mullet? Yeah, we really? When I was a kid. Medi, I, I believe. Kid. Yeah. When you're borderline there now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one at the back under here. But um, yeah, when, when you first start growing your hair out uh, long, you get that awkward stage, and then you become a hockey player for a while. <laughs> I don't know what that means. You, you get really good at hockey? You look like hockey. a hockey player. Like, the hockey hair is kind of a typical Canadian sort of stereotype. It's the flow, oh, as, buddy. It's the, uh, the salad. Oh, is that the one where they have the helmet on, but you can see the back kind of flicking out from the back exactly. of the helmet? Right. Oh, or I think that's the hair, on through the, the ear holes, through the ear holes. Yeah, here through the ear. Here through the ear holes. We got the hair through the ear through the ear holes, eh? Oh yeah, bad. Oh, okay. So also, just I'm sorry. While we're talking about accents, I'm going to tangent back. But uh, my boss before I worked. Um, on the radio in Canada, I had a, I worked at a ski resort in, in Vancouver and my boss said the most Canadian thing I've ever heard in my life. And I love it. And I love that Canadians love hearing about Canadian things. We, we were selling, um, I was waxing snowboards and skis and we were selling, um, uh, Mars bars. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, it was a very old, uh, mountain i uh, want to ask i'm sorry i gotta say matt what's the difference when you're oh, in God australia oh come on <laughs> Jesus, come or in new on. zealand if you want to get a mars bar can you help us understand the difference between the two i, I will try to use what i've learned from chris and okay. i will you can do it maddie yeah so uh can i have a mars bar uh can i have a mars bar uh, that's pretty good there. actually there was there was a different <laughs> e to the first one yes <laughs> beer Mazbe. Thank you. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. I, there's rules on the show. I got to do it. Well, that's that's all right. But it, we had a, a mouse infestation in the building where the Mars bars were sold. And my, my boss, who is um, the, the most Canadian man I've ever met in my life, and he's awesome, and I think he's a great guy, um, 
he pulled me aside one morning when I got into work. He's like, look, look, like mice have been eating, like getting into the Mars bars overnight. They chewed through the, they chewed through the wrapper and, and they got into the, um, into the Mars bars. And he said, look, look, it went straight through the caramel, straight into the nougat. And I just like <laughs> fell over laughing. Straight <laughs> into the nougat. nougat. We went straight through the caramel into the nougat, eh? And I was just like, <laughs> straight through the caramel into the nougat. I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The Canadian is off the charts right now. I need to go outside and just like dive into the snow to cool myself down. Um, what was I talking about? What was the story? Oh, mullets. 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 Oh, yeah, bud. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, buddy. I, I had a bowl cut when I was a kid. I actually remember my mum getting the metal bowl out, putting it no. on my head and um, getting the scissors and doing child abuse to me. Yeah. Um, and I walked around with a with a, a, a not a mullet, a bowl cut for many years until I um, learned to think for myself. But yeah, the mullet is a is an Australian tradition. It's part of their heritage. It's part of their culture. And uh, it's been banned. Banned? They're banned. No. They're, they're um, uh, uh, quite honestly, Philistines and Luddites in Australia uh, of low culture and obviously low class um, in elite, uh, probably Catholic schools such as Trinity College, who are trying to uh, ban the mullet from their um, their hallowed halls. Um, I have the story open in front of me in one of these tabs that I'm opening. <laughs> God, where are they? <laughs> not that <laughs> Kill time. Kill time. Here we are. Um, uh, an elite uh, an elite private boys' school in Western Australia has banned the mullet hairstyle after deeming the hairdo, quote, not acceptable. Uh, Trinity College in Perth outlined their ban on the retro haircut in its recent newsletter. Uh, this is what the newsletter said. It is without reservation that the college sets clear requirements that ensure health and safety I don't know how a mullet goes against health and health and safety. Um, maybe I know. it's an eyesore. How? No, because it can be looking deadly. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Damn. Oh, nice. That was a there was a sick burn. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> as well as setting a high standard for personal presentation, usually the states. The current trend of growing the hair at the back of the head and or closely cropping the sides of the head to accentuate that mullet style are untidy, non-conventional and non-acceptable at Trinity College, as is the trend of long hair and fringes. This is the thing I don't like about this college, right? On page 18 of the quote student diary, they also don't allow fringes, anything below the collar or anything below the eyebrows, which I think is terrible. The school stated that the hairstyle should be of a conservative nature and cut above the collar. Uh, students are not permitted to have mullets, red tails, top knots, mohawks, extra long fringes, or any other non-conventional styles. The rules read. Um, yeah, so I mean, they're 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 attacking. Uh, I personally feel like this is an attack on Australian heritage. Um, but I, I suppose there are people out there who want to see the mullet go. So I don't know. No. What do you think? Never. No. Everybody wants to keep the mullet. The mullet is a thing of beauty. It's like a it's yeah. like a passage into your own self expression. I mean, you, you get yeah. the mullet, your friends burn you a few times, then you give up on the mullet, you move along, then you get a little bit older, you get tempted. So you do the little, you know, business in the front, party in the back, and you grow it, start to grow it out again, 
then you don't get a date for a while, and then you finally get another haircut as an adult, and poof, you get a date, then you're like, yeah, I never do the mullet again. This is sounding somewhat autobiographical. Yeah, there's some truth to this story. eh? We're digging in Mm. deep. (laughs) I would get a mullet. I would do it. You with a mullet would be fine. You reckon? Like, well, so there's like they're coming back, man. Mullets are becoming this like weird counterculture haircut, it. and I kind of some some people can pull it off in a way like the way they trim the sides. That's how you get the mullet looking either fresh gotta, or fringe. So you got to do I the would, steps. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd. Why not? All right. All right. Well, should we? Uh, there was another. Uh, Australian school, Trinity College is not the first one. I believe Waverley College, uh, I think it was called Waverley College, is another one that tried to ban it about a week ago. No, no, a week ago, a month ago. Um, there was a news story about that then. Let's have a listen to some of that. Business hour at Ziggy's Barber. The razor's ready, the colours are coated, but it's the mullet having a moment. A lot of people are getting it, all ages. It doesn't matter if you're young, old. Everyone's seeing it as such like a normal kind of trend now. But Waverley College in Sydney has become the latest school in denial over the style, banning the hairdo. You can cut your hair ten times better than a mullet, you know. It gives a person an identity and a character and an aura. As you can see, I've probably got one that's kind of like a mullet as well, so it's it's very on trend. <laughs> an aura. An aura. I was an aura. Say. <laughs> I like Barbar. I. Yeah, Barbar. I, that was that struck me as well. Barbar Ziggies. Um, I just like how she built up to that though. It gives them a personality, a character, and an aura. You know, like it was the most important so point of the mullet. Yeah, like if you look at any kind of like country superstar, like country female superstar in the eighties, they'll have mm. like what's known as like a Kentucky waterfall. And like it's yeah, it's just this beautiful, majestic sort of aura that they they project. That's just uh, just graceful. You can't get rid of the mullet. <laughs> no, nope. Cindy Lauper had a had a mullet, didn't she? She had one of the best ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the fringe, it was like Big a fringe. fringe. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like a fringe that went down the back of your neck instead of like the front of your head. It was. <laughs> uh, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't there, but I've seen pictures. Maybe that's um, what you could create, the backwards mullet. mullet, Chris. That could be your thing. <laughs> the reverse mullet? Um, I'm pretty sure that's what would happen if, like, Flock of Seagulls didn't use any hair products. Oh, I saw Flock know, of go- Seagulls <laughs> uh, probably 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Whoa. Really? Anyway, they were, they were on stage, and they wore sweatpants, and they did not have that haircut anymore. They also mm-hmm. sat down, did not get up, and, um, and played Iran at the beginning in a remix and then played it at the very end, and a bunch of songs in between that nobody recognized. Quality. It's yeah. dreadful. I still yeah. know. It sounds Space like a great time. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, I think the mullets um, are great. I, I, I do wonder that if the mullet really had an aura, like what the aura of a mullet would be. I asked Mika, my partner, like, what, what do you think the, the aura of a mullet is? And she said brown. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great answer. Exactly, exactly. It's just brown, warm brown. <laughs> um, all right, let's listen to the to the rest of the the rest of the story. An eighty staple. It was once the domain of rockers, rugby league, 
and footy's greatest goal kicker. Well, it's a pleasure to watch at the moment. Three decades on, even the links are lush with locks. It's not uh, not bad. I think it needs a little bit of a trim at the front. I'd really like to go full business at the front and party out the back. There are now multiple schools on Mullet Watch aiming, they say, to protect the leaders of the future. But just don't tell the leaders of today. And I had a mullet, Mr Speaker. That were the days. I just encourage people with mullets to rise up and rebel. <laughs> <laughs> I can't yeah. even anymore. Oh, oh. oh. Well, that's so like great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, no, it's a. Uh, it's too. it's uh, <laughs> if, if you want to uh, if you want to attach a pin anything to uh, Australian post colonial culture, just uh, attach it to rugby league footy and uh, a bit of the old banter, and uh, there you go. You've got a culture. If you want to see an excellent Australian mullet, uh, look up any video by the band Ice House. There's mm, yes. the Electric Blue. Their singer just had the most yeah. beautiful gorgeous kentucky waterfall nice. <laughs> yeah um a contemporary would be uh courtney barnett um i don't know if she has a, a mullet anymore but she had a bad boy going like banging for a while there so if you google courtney barnett um uh, not only great music but a uh, great great mullet as well and um australian crawl i think they had some mullets going on in the 80s oh, but um yes yeah yeah, so I don't know. I I I got my haircut today, and I've had kind of like the middle part long bob cut for about five years now. And I I asked my my hairdresser here. I was like, "Do you think I should get a mullet?" And he was just like, "No, it's not for you. It's not for you." So I'm just, I, I'm just wondering, what do I have to do to earn it? Like, what what does one have to do to 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 own the mullet? Do you think you just gotta give her, bud? You just gotta give her. Amen, brother. Amen. Once you start to give her, then you'll be all right, eh? But you got to give her. Oh, yeah. Always. Sometimes it's just time to get up and give her. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's time to get up and effing give her. Ooh, those are good days, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, bud. (laughs) You are so confused. What? What is this? What is happening right now? (laughs) You're all talking to each other in, in some kind of code. It is a code. Give her what? What are you going to give her? Give her what? Give her do you candy? want? Do you want to explain the giver, Matt, to uh, our Kiwi Tokyo friend? It's oh, just... is this like get her done? It, I know yeah, get her done. Yeah, yeah, it's like the Canadian equivalent of getting her done, but it's much more succinct and much more just yeah, better. It's got a feel. Give her. Give her. Can her. I do it? All right. All right. All right, oh, guys. Do you know Fubar? Do you know Fubar? The movie. Give her. No, I don't. I don't know Fubar. Oh, you got to watch Fubar, buddy. An Albertan classic. Chris, let me let me give you some advice on how to give her. You don't say give her. No. You go give her. So give really emphasize give, emphasize that and give, then her. Give her. Give her. No, give, not her. Just give her. her. <laughs> There's no hate. It's just give, her. Give okay, her. Okay, fellows, let's get up and give her. Give. Let's. Let's give her everything we've got. Yeah. Give oh, Crimmins, that was to... so much fun to spend time and give her with you. Um, all right, I'll teach you a quick Kiwiism then. A Kiwiism is she'll be right. If you can say she'll be right, then you can pretty much get a passport. She, she'll, <laughs> be right. she'll be right. 
She'll be right. She'll be right. She'll she'll be right means everything's gonna be okay. Don't worry about it. So if like uh, if she'll um, be right. you, you know, there's a massive uh, storm and lightning strikes and your you know uh, lightning bursts a hole in, in your ceiling and rain starts coming through and you don't want to fix it, you look at the hole and you just say, ah, she'll be right. Mm. Mm. Oh, I just said you you could give her something tomorrow, but for the time being, she'll be right. She'll be right. She'll be right. Trucker Dan said, in order to earn a mullet, you have to drive a 78 Trans Am with a bumper hitch and a CB whip. I don't don't know what any of these things mean. (laughs) You didn't spend enough time in Canada, clearly. You just got to clearly. Okay, so Fubar. I have to come back. Is on your uh, is on your diet this week. You need a good dose of Fubar. All okay, right? uh, is it a movie or yep. something? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna watch it, and I'm gonna uh, the whole segment next week is just gonna be my review of Fubar, and I'm gonna sound Absolutely. so Canadian. Eh? I'm, gonna sound, I'm gonna sound just like my uncle. Nice. Oh it's, yeah. It's uh, make sure you uh, pay attention to Terry and Diener. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it, it'll be. Um, Bring your uncle to work day, but you just do it inside you. So you know, we will just impersonate our uncles. He is uh, <laughs> our favorite Canadian Kiwi who is in Tokyo. It's the International Dispatch. There's your homework, my friends. Until next week, and we review the Kiwi perception of FUBAR. Thanks, Chris. Great to see your face. Love your haircut. Yeah. Yeah, you too, guys. See you later. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.